It's obviously that Jesus is looking for a certain style of living from you and I, right? Amen? You know, we, we saw in the church of Ephesus, the church that had left their first love, and Jesus was calling them back. Then there's the persecuted church, which, you know, unless we go live in Vietnam or South Sudan or China or something, I'm not sure that our persecution would be the same as what their persecution is. And then last week was the compromising church, the church that is compromised in so many ways. Today, the church of Thyatira. So let's stand and let's read from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, And to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith. And I know your patience. I know that your works, the last are more than the first. It's like, man, amen on all that. Nevertheless, I know this too. I have a few things against you because you, the church, the leader, has allowed, okay, don't miss that, because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality, like, hey, it's cool, it's okay, God knows our hearts, and to eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. Why? So all the churches will wake up and shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I'll give to each one of you according to your works. No one could listen to that and say, yeah, Jesus is okay with sin in the church. Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, just a heart to be able to receive, Lord, your words. That would be life-changing and impacting and enduring, strengthening. So Lord, please bless our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name. You can be seated. Before we begin, I, I want, want us all to think of some major remodeling project that you would like to see take place in your house. Something that you'd like to accomplish, something maybe you'd like to add, something like you'd, something you would like to tear down and rebuild, maybe a pool in the backyard, but ladies, it can only be one thing, okay? Not two. Now here's the twist. There are no plans and there are no blueprints for that job. Think of what your house would look like if you set out to remodel it without any instructions or blueprints. Disaster is what would come to my contractor mind. Some of us could pull it off. But for others, 
cost overruns. Hey, why did you put your light right there? That's where I'm putting my, my, my cooling duct. Change orders. Frustration, confusion, and fistfights on the job site is what would happen. Even though you have in your mind exactly what you want the house to look like, how can each subcontractor know what to do if they don't see it? You'd have the contractors showing up and just kind of doing whatever feels right in their heart and in their minds. The end result is going to be a what? A mess. Now, had you had a plan going into the project, and everyone in the subs would show up and say, hey, where's the plans? And people could have carried it out. The house would have been awesome. It would have been. You would have known what needed to be removed. You would have known what needed to be added on. And you would have been totally stoked about the whole process. But seeing that there's no plan, you have everybody on the job site doing whatever feels right in their own eyes. And you have this ungodly monster just because people are doing what they wanted to do. And to some degree, that's what Jesus is seeking to do to these, with these remaining letters in the, to the existing churches today. He's giving them a plan. He's showing them what, what parts need to remain, what parts need to be demolished, what parts need to be strengthened, and what parts needed to be added to be able to make it successfully to the finish line, because his church is in need of some major remodeling today. And I hope you say, amen. It does. Where too many are just doing or letting people do whatever they think is right in their own eyes and embracing the conditions and the teachings of the world, and they're bringing them into the church. See, that's what's gotten this church into the mess that it's in today. And that's why Jesus is writing these letters to them in the hope that they would do the word here. For you and I, it's critical for you and I to do the word. See, if we walk in and hear and walk out and just keep living, that's like a man looking at his face in a mirror and as he turns away, he immediately forgets what type of man he was. James writes about that. And see, this is why Jesus is writing here is that the hope that the Spirit of God would clean things up, not only in his own church, of course, his church is you and I, the people. So we have before us the smallest of all the seven cities right here this morning. Really a fairly insignificant place, yet the most words are spoken to this church in this little city called Thyatira. Historically, the time period of church history is known as the Dark Ages. It runs, runs from about 500 B.C. to the present time. And the reason I know it's for the present time, the reason I know this admonishment to them at 96 A.D., it's for you and I today, well, look at verse 25. Jesus says to them, hold fast till I come. If he came, we're all in big trouble. <laughs> so this is for us. He hasn't come yet. So we should all be able to agree, and it should be safe to believe, that this church system or this style or these issues in the church back then are still going to be present in this church, in his church today. I hope we could see that. There's things in this church that causes many to consider this might be like, well, the Roman Catholic Church. Now, before you think we're going to bash Catholics, listen. At least Jesus has something good to say about them. 
Next week, many believe it's the Protestant church. And if you don't know the difference, we're Protestants, okay? Next week, it's the Protestants. Jesus has nothing good to say to them. Something to consider. So it seems like it's Catholics this week, Protestants next week, but all of us, it's for today. Because you and I have ears to hear what the Spirit wants to speak to the church. So don't think out, or don't tune out. Don't think I'm picking on Catholics. The Lord's the one that's dealing with the systems within the church today. And if the shoe fits, you got to put the shoe on. you got to deal with what's here. During this era of church history, indulgences are introduced. Where you could go and sin and then pay the church monetarily for your sin. That's fact, and that still goes on today. No big deal. Just go pay. Priests paying indulgences for concubines is one of the many things that caused Luther to run away from the Catholic Church. Look at verse 18 and see why this is such an appropriate description of Jesus to this church or this church age or this church system that you and I live in today. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God. So that's speaking of deity. Deity is writing here. Who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Wow. That's incredible. That should sound familiar, though, at the same time. We find both eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine breath in the description of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, as we view this description of this church, we learn from the heart of Jesus that he takes sin seriously. He can see through the phoniness of religion and ritual and, and mass that people might put on saying, I'm a believer, but then as soon as they walk out, they're not. So if, you, if you're the pastor of this church and you get this letter, you open it up, and as you start to read this opening, eyes like a flame of fire and fine brass, well, they all speak of purification and the judgment of God. And you might be going, wow. Whoa. You know, if you're out in the woods and you get bit by a snake, this is my medical tip for the day, and you got a knife and you're going to cut it to cut the poison out, please make sure you take a lighter and burn the knife and sterilize it so you don't get infection. Because see, fire purifies. And so here comes Jesus with eyes like fire. Feet walking in the judgment as Jesus approaches this church with the penetrating eyes of Jesus that can burn through our disguises that we put up. And they're in the church. We can put them up. And Christians are good at putting up disguises or putting on a mask. How you doing? I'm good. But see what so many Christians fail to realize is that the one with eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass, he can burn right through those facades that full man. So I'm thinking if I'm the pastor of this church, I'm a little concerned right now. I'd have this kind of uneasy feeling in my stomach. Whoa, eyes like, a, like in feet, a judgment, a coming. But then that feeling would quickly turn as I would push on in the letter because it says, I know your works. Think of all the Catholic works going on around the world today. I know your love. 
People going, think of Mother Teresa going to the slums of Calcutta where nobody would dare cross. I know your patience. Jesus says, I know your faith. So it's a pure faith, even though there's many in that system that are kind of jacked sideways. I know your patience. And for your works, the last are more than the first. Man, if you're the pastor, you're taking a breath right now and going, okay, we are in great shape. Man, Jesus sees the good we're doing. He sees us loving him and and loving others. And as we view verse 19, the church system or church age, it has a lot of work going on. And Jesus is commending them for it. Jesus says, I know your love. And I know many Catholics and Protestants who extremely love in word and deed. You got to have them both. When, when Jesus says, I know your service, what comes to your mind? When Jesus says, I know your works, what comes to your mind in Catholic circles? Hospitals? Clinics? Food pantries? Homeless shelters? universities. There is much service to many people around the globe under the, bannock, under the banner of Catholics. I know your faith. Keep it in context now, okay? So what does Jesus mean by this? I know your faith. Well, their faith in Jesus alone for salvation has empowered many to go and serve where others were not willing to go. You see, true Catholics hold on tightly to a strong faith in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ where God became man. They hold tightly to that. And of course, many miss the fact that Mary had other children. But the true ones. They're very tough in the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. I know your patience. No doubt there are grannies in this church system that are praying every day, Lord, help the priest get it together today. And others are saying, Lord, help the priest keep it together today. No doubt about it. Patiently praying. Jesus knows them. Jesus says here that they have more works now than in the beginning. I mean, that's all great stuff here. Greater service that is prompted from their faith and love for God and their love for their fellow mankind. And and they build greater works, greater hospitals, greater feeding centers, retirement centers, orphanages, more than at the beginning. Think about this. When's the last time you saw a Buddhist hospital or a Hindu hospital or a Muslim hospital or an atheist hospital? Anybody name one? That's my case. So they're increasing in love, increasing in service, increasing in the last works are more than the first. So how are we all doing in this? Are we increasing or are we coasting? If I'm coasting, I'm going backwards because it's only a matter of time before gravity pulls me backwards. So if you're the pastor reading this letter to yourself about God's view of your church, you might be patting yourself on on, on your back right now. Man, we're following God's plan. We're nailing it. Well, that is until you need the ne- read the next phrase. Nevertheless, uh-oh, we've got a problem. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Wow, that's kind of negative. 
Would that be considered negative and too much of the church today? Yeah, it would. It would be considered negative because you know what? We've arrived into the age of Aquarius where we only speak positive things and not negative. We speak positive things that build up and edify. Really? So you're saying Jesus is saying this is negative? You know, don't destroy the love of God by your negative words around here, buddy boy. We're just not going to put up with that. But, but that's not even consistent with life today. If you go to the doctor, you want him to tell you the truth? Or do you want him to take you to the age of Aquarius and just tell you everything's going to be okay? Right? If your car's ready to die and you're going to go on this cross-country road trip, you take it to the mechanic. You want him to take you to the age of Aquarius? Oh, you have a fine car here. It's going to work well. You want him to tell you the truth. Or the dentist. Or the home builder. Or anything in life. Our world revolves around truth. It's an absolute that governs the universe. And when truth is no longer being truth, or truth is no longer being proclaimed, then we as a world are in big trouble because the only ones that possess the truth is the church. And when the church doesn't want to proclaim the truth, we're sick. Because see, if you're sick, you want the truth. Are you going to go to the doctor and pay some guy to give you a false diagnosis? Yes, if you want to die. Can we speak the truth in the church today without people's egos being hurt? Yes and no. Some think people leave if you speak the truth. So let's just water it down. Can't do that. And here's why. Jesus says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. That's God's estimation. And man must line their thinking up with Jesus' view on life and not the other way around. Jesus is speaking truth to these in Thyatira because he loves them. And his hope is that some in this church and this church system in these last days would respond to his words and would turn from their sin and be healed. His words here of, nevertheless, I have a few things against you, is going to be spoken because he understands that the church needs some major remodeling. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, comes from one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass, clearly teaches us that Jesus is not into one foot in the world and one foot in the church style of living. He's not into that. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you, 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 Mr. Leader, because you allow that woman, Jezebel. Now, that may or may not be her name. And Jesus is calling out the leader because he has allowed this woman or this type of thinking, this style of living, this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. So it's self-appointed. This is the new way of living. It's okay. I've, I've declared it's okay. And here's why he's against it. You've allowed this woman Jezebel to teach and seduce my, ooh, personal fighting words, Jesus says. 
You've allowed this woman to teach and seduce my servants as Jesus speaks to those who are born again. You've allowed her to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. Well, it's okay. I don't want to judge you, brother. And to eat things sacrificed to idols. Jesus is saying that Guys in this system are allowing this woman to do this in their midst. Oh, maybe they're just looking the other way. Maybe they're saying it's okay. You see, if you look at church history, which is extremely ugly, and so much of it is the Catholic church, but that's only because they've been around longer. While this church was active in doing good works and increasing in them, it wasn't sold out to the solid word of God. So you could go out, commit sexual morality, you could go to the box, lay a couple bucks on the table, and you could just keep on living it that way. Jesus says, we're not into that. That style of living is seducing my servants away from the truth. You know, just because they're doing it doesn't mean it's right. While this church was so active, they weren't sold out. And when you're not sold out on the word of God, the sky is the limit for nonsense to creep into the church today where everyone is just doing whatever is right, whatever feels good in their eyes. But it doesn't need to be that way, team. It's a little unsettling to me as a pastor to consider that so many good things can be going on and increasing. And then in the very next breath, Jesus says, I have this against you, buddy boy, as he calls the leaders out on an open rebuke. So who or what is this woman Jezebel? I'm not certain. I know this. Jezebel in the Old Testament was the wife of King Ahab. Boy, was he a piece of work. King Ahab was spineless, and he allowed his wife to do whatever she wanted. We know Jezebel, Ahab's wife, called herself a prophetess. She had the 450 prophets of Baal where where her, her prophets and Elijah met on the Mount of Carmel. And they had a showdown to find out whose God was God. They thought that her word had just as much authority as the written word of God. If she says it, it's like, thus saith the Lord. Even if it contradicts God's written word, she, that's who she was. Listen to this out of 1 Kings 21-25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. How would you like that written in the Bible? You were the most ungodly king. Uh, that isn't something you'd want written about. Oh, and by the way, it was your wife that was stirring you up to live that way. Not exactly something you want recorded. Plus, how many people know somebody named Jezebel? Anybody? Not exactly a popular <laughs> name these days. I mean, yet here, they, here we have it. The teachings of Jezebel are in the church today. They are. Well, we just need to welcome everyone. We don't need to judge them. We need to open the doors and let them all in. Jezebel is the one that brought Baal worship to the northern kingdom of Israel. She brought this spiritual fornication into the land, causing the hearts of many to look to idols and statues for direction instead of God. That happens today. You know, St. Jude's Hospital, I thought it was Catholic. I went and looked on it. It was uh, Danny something, you know, the famous actor guy. Da you know, who, anybody know what his last name is? Danny Thomas. 
He says he was looking to that saint, and that saint guided him through something, and so he's going to name it after that. He, he was looking to a statue. He was looking to a dead person. It happens today. This church system in Thyatira was to be committed to Jesus. The worship of anything else constitutes spiritual fornication. And it happens in the church today. Not just immorality. Pick your line of vices. Man, I'm going I'm to go serve this idol today. We just don't call them idols today. We call them drugs. Call them getting drunk. Call them pornography. Call them all kinds of things. Think of the part of the church today. Any images or statues in their facilities that are worthy of people bowing down to and kissing or praying to? Yeah, it's today. Please notice what Jesus thinks about that stuff today in his church. Look in your Bibles. What does it say? He says, he is against them. Why? Well, verse 20, my servants. That's why he's against them. See, this gives me a look into the heart of Jesus. The false teaching that was going on in the church, the things that were being allowed into the church, the sex outside of marriage, the adultery that was being tolerated was causing the servants of Jesus to commit grievous sins. The word for servant here means bondservant. These are ones who are sold out to Jesus Christ. The same name used by Jesus, Peter, or be, not by, uh, by James, Peter, John, Jude, Paul, Timothy, and all their early apostles. And it's causing them to sin. This church system had this gross violation of God's word going on in the church, and it was causing my servants, Jesus said, to stumble. Wow, does that sound familiar? Jesus says, don't cause my little ones to stumble. Woe is he or she who would cause one of my little ones to stumble. Not good. So what's destroying the church in America today? I can answer that. Low view of God's word. Unchecked sin. Wisdom of man. Tolerance of sin. Acceptance of sin under the banner of love. It's quite possible without any historic proof that when Jesus spoke this to John, that these prophetesses were encouraging people to worship other gods in order to keep their jobs, at least according to the history I read. You know, worship your deity, keep your job. We know red dye came from Thyatira as, as well as many other trades because they had these trade guilds, maybe like the Masons today or electrical unions minus the idols. And each trade back then had an idol or a deity that they worshipped. But all of a sudden when you got saved and it was time to go worship your pagan feast at the idol or worship your idol at the pagan feast, all of a sudden you're going, I can't do that anymore. I can't go do that. I mean, could you imagine that stuff going on in the church and the church embracing it? Yeah, man, just keep your job. Go worship the idol. It'll be okay. And yet you have this pagan style of living that is sexually moral going on in the church where they were at one time preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and holding fast to the word of God. I mean, it's like, how is that possible? Why or what would cause people who know the truth to allow or to do such things? Well, I can, I can answer that too. A failure to understand God's word. 
or absence of his word taught allows all kinds of weird things into the church today. People no longer reading their Bible. So when someone says it they say, and it appeals to their flesh, they go, okay, that sounds good to me. And, and, and people just accept it. It's like, well, this is the new normal. Man, how many times has the new normal changed in the last 10 years? Well, that's just the new normal now. Rather than being a brain and searching out the scriptures and saying, no, we put up with it. Verse 21 is a great picture of God's mercy. I gave her this Jezebel thing that's going on in the life of the church. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She did not repent. Please understand this morning, if you're living in sin right now, Jesus has a clock on you that's winding down. There's a, there's a time coming where you might have went too far. These went too far. Jesus says he gave them time to repent, and they didn't. Please, repent now before it's too late, and don't go back. Repent is a good word. It's a critical word. So why is repent a word that's not spoken much today in the church? We don't know. You speak about it all the time. But I mean, why is it, why is it not spoken of much in the church today? I can answer that too. It causes people to leave, not come back, or at least so they think. Jesus uses this word towards each church that needs to repent. And if Jesus uses it, he's stamping his approval on it, repents a godly word. It's a heavenly word. Of the 24 verses in the New Testament that the word repent shows up, Jesus uses the word repent 20 times. Check it out. Check it out. I hope we can receive that this morning. John the Baptist once, Peter twice, the Apostle Paul once, Jesus 20. It's critical. I hope we can receive that. Indeed, I will cast her, the Jezebel thing, this, this, this immorality, this bowing down the idols that has crept into the church. Indeed, Jesus says, I will cast her into a sick bed. Why? Because she didn't repent. And those who commit adultery with her. That's a warning, church. Cast her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Please, understand, Jesus is not threatening here. We know he doesn't do that. This is all truth. He gave her time to repent, but re she rejected the voice of the Holy Ghost. So what is this sickbed that Jesus has in mind here? I have no idea. I don't. Maybe overdoses. We live in a day and age of overdoses. Like 60,000 overdoses, most of them young people in our country. How about Chicago? Well, you know, they deserve what they get. Those are souls lost into hell if they don't know Jesus. So what is a sickbed? I don't know. I can tell you this, though, about sexual immorality. It's definitely STDs. This is right off the presses of 2006, 2016 statistics off the Center for Disease Control site. And I quote, it's estimated that there are 20 million new STDs in the U.S. alone each year. Half of those are among young people ages 15 to 24. And you're not angry? It went on to say that across the nation at any given time, there are more than 110 million new existing STDs. Lastly, it said it cost over $16 billion with a B each year to treat the STDs. 
So someone is making money off the young people being infected with STDs. That doesn't make you angry. It should. Be angry and do not sin, the Bible says. Think about this. 20 million new STDs a year. Half of them are ages 15 to 24. That's 54,794. Every single day you and I are awake. 54,000. That is every 1.5 sec. Every, that is one that is one for every 1.57 seconds, a new STD. When I point at you, I want you to stand up. 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001. Come on, you gotta stand up. 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001. 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001, 1,001. Look around. That's how many people got STDs in the time of my county. And, and we aren't concerned about, you can be seated. And we, sorry. And we aren't concerned about that. 22,093 of those amongst the youth, 15 to 24. If you got here at 10 o'clock and you stay till 12 o'clock, 4,585 new infections will occur in those two hours. In the U.S. alone. And we have medication for that. Think about what it's like outside this, the U.S. 2,293 new effect, infections from the time you're here will happen between young people the ages of 15 and 24. Can you say epidemic? It's an epidemic. But what has that epidemic produced in, in Jesus' church? Because we can't expect the world to figure it out. So what does this epidemic produce in the church? Drowsiness or prayerfulness? See why Jesus says he has this against this church? Her ways are impacting his kids. Now, would God really bring this type of judgment upon this, upon those in his house? Absolutely, yes, because they are corrupting his servants. Look at the next verse, verse 23. I will kill her, her children with death. Whose children? Those who have chosen to live in the ways of Jezebel and are adamant about it and they have no desire to repent. It seems that Jesus gave them what they wanted. Look, that's what you want. I'll give you what you want. He calls them her children and not his children. It's tragic. And why? Because they would not repent of their sexual immorality. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know. Please underline, underline this. I, Jesus says, I'm going to make an example here. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. See, we might be able to hide it from one another, but not from Jesus, for he searches all of our hearts and all of our minds. 
Okay, we might be able to hide it from one another. But not from, one, not from him. You know, we, we, we hear this. Man, we should fall at the cross and beg for mercy. I mean, who is Jesus seeking to, to wake up here by putting her children to death? The church's team. His children. Not hers. He's not trying to wake her children up. He gave her time to repent. He's trying to wake us up. See, Jesus is expecting that the church will wake up after he kills her children with death. And after reading this team, how can this not put the fear of God in you, which is actually healthy? See, the fear of God is a healthy thing today. The only conclusion that you could come up with after this is that God takes sin dwelling in his church very seriously. I'm not going to make you and Thyatira that hold to this Jezebel stuff. I'm going to make you an example for others to wake up and snap out of it. I'll kill her children, Jezebel's children. That has got to wake the church up, and I'm going to kill her with death. I don't even know what that is. Searching our hearts and minds with those eyes like a flame of fire. And Jesus says, I'll give to each one according to his works. Hope we'd allow these eyes that are, can burn right past the facade that we put up. And we'd allow these eyes of Jesus to look right into our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and ask Jesus, are we dating you, Jesus? Or are we into this committed, monogamous relationship in a growing relationship with you? Because really, those are our two choices. If, our, if we're saying, you know, I can be... How, you, can, you could be here going, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Well, okay, that's okay. You're, you're, you're not born again. But for the rest of us, we're either in a love relationship with Jesus or we're in, the, we're in a dating relationship. If I'm in a love relationship, I'm submitted to the head and I'm committed through good times, bad times, times of sickness, times of health, forsaking all others. I give myself wholly over to Jesus and allowing him to guide me. Where if I'm in a dating relationship with the Lord, yeah, I'm kind of not committed. Matter of fact, I'm non-committal. I'm looking around, playing the field. When the going gets tough, sometimes I stay, sometimes I split. I'm kind of a free spirit kind of a person. I get to do whatever I want. I get to be led by my, my, my desires. Yet Jesus says, I'll give to each one of you according to your works. begs the question, what are you going to receive from Jesus? See, when I stand before God, all those, and those eyes burn right through me, I'm going to be standing alone without excuses. I can't say, well, you know, Lord, I was going to do that, but I wanted to do that, but you know, but those people, uh, can't do that. Now to you, that's you and I, his bride, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I'll put on you no other burden. Wow. Awesome. You know, those who have not bought into this sinful practice, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to lay anything else on you, but hold fast what you have till I come. Don't stop doing good. So 
how long are they to hold fast for? Till Jesus comes. He's coming back. So that would be death or rapture. He's coming, team. This is our great hope. Hang on. I'm coming. Don't throw in the towel. Ta- Look up and press on. Keep moving forward. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I'll give power over the nations. I mean, it is true. We live in an immoral world. But team, we've got to keep ourselves from that stuff and keep on doing Jesus' work here. Because you and I, we need to be overcomers. We need to preach the gospel. We've done that in the last week or so. We've got to live godly lives. We've got to stay away from compromise. Look what happened to those in Thyatira. You have to finish the race in order to win. Keep my works until the end. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. So the promise to you and I as overcomers is to rule over the nations with Jesus during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, can you imagine little Avery out there ruling over the nations? Yeah, in the millennial, because he'll be a giant with Jesus standing right behind him. So a special promise to those who keep themselves from the Jezebel style today. He shall rule them. Who will? Those who overcome and keep his word and not allow the immorality and idolatry of their day to take them down. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They, the evil, shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. So what does a rod of iron look like? No one knows, but I know this. What part of the rod of iron do you want to be on? The receiving end or the holding end? The morning star comes out of Revelation twenty-two sixteen, where Jesus takes the name upon himself and says, I am the bright and morning star. So another way to read this would be, to all who keep my works, you will be with me, the bright morning star, forever. So hang on. Is the call to action from Jesus here. And, and, and move away from the destructive teachings of the world. Don't allow him to creep into the church. He who has an ear, touch him. We all got two. Okay? Touch him. Okay, the, the sleepers, you know, have to go whack them a little bit so they can touch your ears. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what did you hear this morning? See, this letter today is for all who desire to finish well. Heed the warnings. We we got to. Run from the fire wanting to destroy you. This letter is for pastors who overlook or allow or welcome into their midst the Jezebel style of living to kind of just settle in and find a home in their house of worship. This letter is for those who blow off the voice of the Holy Ghost and have embraced the Jezebel style of immorality. Woe is them. This letter is for those who lead Jesus' little children into a life of sexual immorality. They draw them away from God's house and drag them into Jezebel's house. And if that's you, gosh, you got to repent. Jesus has given you time to repent right now and go the other way. Please don't blow off the voice of the Holy Ghost today. This letter is for those who will be overcomers and who will move away from and will finish well 
and will rule the nations with the rod of iron. See, Jesus has given people time to repent and go the other way now. But don't blow off the voice of the Holy Ghost because that time clock seems to have a time on it. And I sure hope we can see the heart of Jesus in this letter team. I mean, he's pretty fired up with this practice taking place in his church because they are taking his people away from him. But that's normal. How would you feel if someone was trying to seduce your wife or your husband or your children and they're trying to take them away from you? How would you feel? See, the same way Jesus does. So Oprah, you're just playing wrong again because I'm thankful that our God is a jealous God and he's not willing to allow us to be given over. He's going to come after us. And if any this morning, if that's you, you got to get right today. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we know that